Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for OK Bloomer, Teach Me Sales. I'm Kelly Bloomer. And I'm Tom Bloomer. OK, Tom, you're our sales pro. In 30 words or less, can you tell us about this podcast? I'm going to try. You know us salespeople like to talk, Kelly. You sure do. All right, 30 words or less. Can you do it? Well, if you're a sales pro and you're looking to grow in your sales career, if you like good, lively sales discussion, I think this is going to be a show for you. I've walked your walk for over 30 years in sales. I've knocked on the doors and overcome the same obstacles I think you may be facing as a seller, a sales manager, and as a VP of sales. I currently help assess, build, and train high-performing media sales teams. Well, Cal? Yeah, you really went over 30 words. Hey, Tom, you're our sales pro. Tell us about your podcast. Do you have many boomers that are, that are rebels? Believe it or not, one of my one of my first clients was a boomer. Bert, I want you to turn me into a rebel today. I'm a Philly girl. I listen to Rocky, and I'm going up those stairs, man, and I could do anything. And I came back from corporate, and I sat at the desk, and I actually had to do sales, and I was mortified. Welcome, everyone. We're very excited today. Yarun, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. We are with Yarun Kordhout. Um, you are the co-founder and CEO of SalesFlare. And, and I'm really excited. Over the past year, I've talked to a lot of salespeople, uh, several sales leaders. Today, we're going to be talking to someone who's built a company to enable those sellers to be a lot more productive. So let's jump right in. Tell us how you got started in SalesFlare. It's a pretty good story. Yeah, uh, to make a, a long story short, because it's, <laughs> I made lots of different uh, detours to get here, let's say. Um, but one day I was working together with my co-founder. We went together to a big conference in Vegas. Basically, he had a software company and um, he needed someone to help him sell at the conference. And I joined and it was quite successful. Like we got a lot of leads at the conference. Um, basically we would uh, like go into the hallway, not, not be like other people at conferences and just stand behind the booth and do nothing and wait for people to come. So you're, um, you're out and about meeting people. Yeah, we would like go in the hallway and actually ask like qualifying questions. Like basically we had software compatible to Cognos. So for us, if people had Cognos of IBM, they were good customers. So we would go in the hallway and say, do you use IBM Cognos? And if they would say, yes, like <laughs> they would already feel somehow uh, connected. And then we would say like, well, you know, you might have this issue and that issue. And they would be like, yeah. And then like, oh, we have solutions for that, you know? And then uh, as soon as that got a bit more technical, which was pretty quickly because I really didn't know much about the software. Um, I would basically hand it off uh, to my colleagues. I would say like, oh, let me, get one of the, the tech guys to help you. Uh, you and like you that, we had- them, You yeah. walked them over to the, booth, to the booth at that point. Yeah, well, yeah, already when, when they had Cognos, I would walk them over to the booth. I had this little brochure stuff. I would show them that. And then at some point there would be a tech question and then my colleagues would just be next to, to them. And I'd say like, yeah, oh, he can answer your questions. And I would get the next person. So we were quite successful at that conference. It was of the, one of the good ones. And we were quite excited about it. Like we had all this potential, uh, all these people interested really in, in buying our software. 
now there were it was business intelligence software and um it's a uh, it's a kind of business that goes quite slow uh you know it's this kind of you you talk to these people and they're like oh that really solves my issues but you know we're currently on something else who so talked to me at the end of the year <laughs> this kind of sales mm-hmm. uh so we tried to build a system to do the follow-up properly there. I always really know like what is the best time to reach these people? What did we last discuss? Um, whom are we in contact with? Who are the people we need to influence? All those kind of things. And you just sit and wait till the end of the year, right? That would no. be <laughs> Yeah. You better have yeah. a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were following up like 130 leads. Um, and you cannot just do that top of mind, like, oh, I need to, I need to call Tom. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, you need to try to build a relationship with all of those as if there, you only follow up one customer, you need to follow up with like 130 and it's sort of like scaling relationships. You could say you need a system because otherwise, uh, on the other end, the customer's end, it will feel like you're not really following up. Like you don't care about them. Like you, for you, it's all chaos. You're like just another salesperson. Uh, if you want to be successful, you need to do it in a, in a, in a well-organized manner. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been in my previous life, I had been a, a marketing consultant and CRM and all that for pharma companies. And we used to work a lot with Salesforce. Uh, and I knew from experience that that was a really great system for enterprises to build sort of all their workflows in there. But it wasn't a really practical tool for salespeople. Um so we looked a bit around. The guys were using Zoho at the time, I believe. We looked at some other things. And nothing, none of these CRMs, like we found much better stuff than Salesforce and Zoho. Uh, but none of it really seemed to click for us. It never seemed to really work. And the reason was not that it wasn't like nice software or something. It was more like that it came with an expectation that we would perfectly fill it out all the time. Like every single thing that happened, we would put in there. And that was really a requirement to make the system work because as soon as we forgot to enter another person that we met or their phone number or the fact that we called or whatever, the system would fall apart. It would not be credible anymore. And that would be our fault, (laughs) but we wouldn't be able to find all the information anymore. We wouldn't be able to trust the system. Um, and, and that seemed to be a recurring thing for us. Like every time and time again, it would fail. So at some point we were quite frustrated and, and we are sort of uh, creative people who always like to automate the stuff we do. So we're like, okay, so we're inputting all this data, it isn't really working for us, but actually it doesn't make sense that we're doing it manually because actually the information is already there in our emails. There's the people we're emailing with. There's their email signatures. There's just their names and their email addresses. There's connect email tracking. We can even connect that up to web tracking. There's like meetings in our calendar. There's calls in our phone. There's stuff from company databases that we're manually inputting. Uh, You know, there's all these different things that are sort of there, but we find ourselves always manually uh, copying the stuff into the CRM. And at that point we're like, well, we could work on that. We could build all these integrations, make sure that the system intelligently pulls the information together, that it offers it to us, that we just have to make some clicks, say, okay, yes, this person does indeed work there. I think he's relevant. This guy's not relevant. The information is already there. Like everything fills up by itself. 
And then we would have a system we could rely on that wouldn't rely on us, but something we could actually rely on. And uh, that was sort of the click for Salesforce seven years ago. We had an issue ourselves, but it's not like we only built it for ourselves. It was an enormous amount of work. We never have done that, but we figured it's a bigger issue is the reason why salespeople very often or not always hate their CRM. It just doesn't really work for them. Like very often they need to spend a lot of time, a lot of energy in the CRM for not getting much in return because for them to, to make it work for them, it's just an enormous amount of work. And, and very often it doesn't, it's not even really aimed at that. That's, and that's then, the biggest complaint I hear all the time. Yeah. They put a lot of time and energy in and, and not for enough reward coming back for them personally. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, for them personally, because then the feeling they get is that it's only there for management. Like management is there and they look at the data and they can easily replace them when they go away. They can look at what they're doing. Uh, you know, it's a, they think it's a surveillance tool a management reporting thing, which in, in many cases it is, if it doesn't work for the sales team, then it turns out to be that kind of thing. And well, actually- that's why most I, companies start with a CRM, right? They, they want that from a company perspective. Um, but yeah. realize if, if the sales team doesn't enter the data, then it's, it's wasted. But isn't that the goal of a lot of companies when they first um, bring one in? Um, I think companies, as far as I understand now, because uh, why we talk to a lot of companies, of course, who try to get a CRM, uh, there's usually two main reasons. One is to have better follow-up. Uh, people very often get a CRM because think, a lot of things are slipping through the cracks. It's the very essential issue, which is also the issue that aligns with what the salespeople feel. It's like a tool to organize yourself. And then there is this other level um, where it's about, um, like some companies put it, uh, transparency and accountability. Um, it's, it's seeing what everybody is working on, um, making sure that uh, salespeople become accountable, coachable also. Um, and also that collaboration becomes easier because as soon as data is in the system, you don't need to talk about stuff all the time anymore. Like, like for instance, a collabor collaboration between marketing and sales is almost impossible without keeping stuff in a central system. You cannot talk about every customer uh, between sales and marketing and saying, can this guy get this campaign? Or, you know, <laughs> that doesn't work. You need a, a central system where this data is actually stored who is on the newsletter and who is currently wearing the pipeline, who should get a discount and who shouldn't get a discount and all this kind of stuff. So it sounds to me a little like the, the CRM that you built was built by sales for sales first. So is that where some of the differences come in? Because, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of sellers as we're talking that just are not comfortable. They don't spend the time. And if, if you don't put good data in, you're not going to get good data out. Was, was that the key thing, the way you build it was, was from a salesperson's perspective first? I think that's definitely part of it. And, and, and so, yeah, we built it from the salesperson's perspective for the salespeople. But also there were, there were more systems like that before we started building Salesflare. But they always came with the expectation that salespeople would perfectly fill them out and they sometimes made it easier to fill them out but they never like automated it away 
because that was just the expectation when we started. I did a lot of customer interviews and every time I asked like, so how does the software help you? How does it, you organize your sales? Can the software be better? And all potential customers said, no, the software is fine. It's the salespeople, they're lazy. It's not the software's fault. You just need to fix the salespeople. And, and I was like, no, I think we can, we can definitely fix the software first and then we can still see what remains like for the salespeople. But uh, I think it can be better, but nobody agreed, so. No, but it, it's interesting because um, I was with a large organization when we first brought in our first CRM Everybody went through training. We saw all the benefits. People started to use it. Whenever sales complained, whenever they said, hey, this is the problem we're having, when we ran it up the ladder, it always came back, sales rep air, sales rep air, sales rep air. But that doesn't help, right? Just mm -hmm. saying, well, if your sales reps were perfect, we'd have a great system, but they're not going to be. That's, you know, a lot of our best salespeople they're not driven by sitting down and putting in perfect data. So, um, so give me an idea. How, how do you work around that? How do you have a system built where you don't expect that sales rep to be per entering things perfectly? Yeah. So our system assumes that uh, information is already somewhere. And that's very, very often the case. Like there's a lot of information in your mailbox is basically the people you're in touch with. Uh, and it's very easy to even process that because there's on, on, in, in emails, there's names and email addresses. There's also very often email signatures. There's obviously the emails themselves, which you can very easily uh, tie back to an email address, hence a contact. Um, then there's, um, we, we even map relationships based on that. So we're like, Tom knows this guy, he knows him well, but Tom's colleague knows that person at the company and knows them that well. Email addresses can uh, easily be tied to companies because they, they're on the same domains. So it's, it's all not, not too hard to organize, just the system needs to do it and needs to do it reliably. Um, then there's stuff in your phone number, like calls that are linked to phone numbers. These phone numbers are then contacts that can be linked together. Then there's um, meetings in your calendar, which, uh, Nowadays, uh, people send out uh, meeting requests. When we started, I was still more or less, um, but now people are very used to uh, inviting other people on, on, on meetings. So they're linked to email addresses. Then linked to that, there's a whole system with email tracking and web tracking where um, yeah, every link in an email is specific to that email and specific to people who are in there. And then there's a link with uh, cookies, which are dropped when you click on these links and then that's linked to the web tracking. But that links everything up effectively. And next to that, there's still stuff like we pull in information based on email address on contacts. We pull in information on company level based on the uh, website of the company. And like that is this sort of living organism where it also doesn't really matter what happens first. Um, like you could add the contact first and then call them or you could call them and then add them. The system will always be able to link it up. Um, and that way it's, it, it makes sure that a lot of the sort of triggers you normally have to have yourself of going to enter data and, and the work itself obviously becomes unneeded because the system can do it much more reliably, much more completely. I mean, entering data is basically robot work, you could say, and 
robots. <laughs> Computers are very good at managing data. Salespeople are very good at managing people, but not necessarily, they're not this kind of data input robots. So we shouldn't expect that from them. Um, hence, all the stuff we do. And I want to dive into a couple questions on on salespeople now utilizing, you know, what you've put together. But first, you know, you're in a land with some giants, right? You mentioned mm -hmm. Salesforce. There are some big companies doing this. Um, as a startup, how did you kind of make your way? How did you build a company in the land of giants like that? Oof, uh, it is uh, definitely hard. Um, and it's definitely for us about playing the long game and about building something up um, like a step by step because we can't just, um, let's say, uh, bump in a lot of money and then grow uh, like crazy. Um, it doesn't work like that. There's indeed, first of all, the, the, the space is huge, uh, fragmented. Um, there's like 650 plus CRMs only on g2.com uh, listed. And then there are some big ones in that space, like the Salesforce. And in our space, there's um, systems called HubSpot and Pipedrive as well, which for instance, HubSpot earns uh, 10 times more per customer per year than we do. Well, we got up a bit, but it's still sort of in that order. Uh, which makes they they don't only uh, uh, they're not only like 600 times bigger or something. They can also outspend us 10 times when it comes to attracting a customer, uh, which doesn't necessarily make it very easy. Um, we compete on uh, first of all uh, our customers being happier with our system, but that's uh, that only uh, allows for um, word of mouth, which is more like organic growth, of course. Um, next to that, we uh, try to be visible as much as possible, not necessarily with ads, but getting our true views on review sites, being in blog listings, uh, getting on, on podcasts, for instance, like this one, being present at conferences, uh, all these kind of places. And then we add a lot of value also to our own audience, um, plus uh, search audience by putting out a lot of quality content. Um, which is still one of the places that is easier to make a difference um, because a lot of content marketing nowadays is sort of uh, quantity over quality, just hiring copywriters to uh, spit out a lot of uh, content. And especially in a sales context, um, copywriters don't often have a lot of uh, sell experience themselves. So it, it very often turns out to be, if, if you let a copywriter write the whole thing, it becomes this very superficial sales content. Um, so there we, we find it relatively easy to write content that is uh, appreciated and, and therefore also it ranks in Google because Google picks up these signals. Yeah. Right. And, and I do enjoy your blogs because I, I'm a sales guy and and it sounds like it's written by a sales guy, you know. And I enjoy your blog; it has good information, but but it also it's just like I'm I'm talking to a neighbor, telling me how this works and things like that. It's you definitely can see the difference between uh, you know different types of blogs that are out there. But you know, since you brought up the content marketing, almost everyone now their company is is trying to put out good content. And as mm -hmm. you mentioned, it there's there's a lot of quantity. There's not necessarily a lot of quality. I don't see a lot of content moving things along. I don't see the content 
um, moving the sale along or generating leads. How are you doing it that you're finding that it's actually generating leads for you? What, what are you doing with your content that you think is making the difference? Yeah, there's a, there's a, and you can write content on, on different levels, um, different levels in the pipeline. Um, if you write very top of funnel content, it's very hard to see it convert into leads. It might pull a lot of traffic and we have some articles like that. For instance, if you look for startup conferences or investors or something, you might find our listings on the top of Google and a lot of people click on that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to buy Salesflare. Then there's content that uh, is much more related to Salesforce in the sense that it's, it's about sales. Um, so we try to educate people around sales and there it's way more likely at some point they will, they will get Salesforce as they get to know it. It's, it's much more uh, directly tied. But then um, the content that can even um, directly uh, convert or maybe after they, re they read two things or whatever, um, is the content where they want to organize a certain thing. They need a solution. They're looking for a guide. They check out that guide. And then within the guides, you show also how to organize it in your product. Uh, and that way you, you solve people's problems, but you also make it a little more concrete towards your product. And as they have seen in their mind and you know, in the blog post, uh, how you can solve it with, with your product, there is uh, some probability that they will then more directly get on the software. But a lot of content marketing still is, is playing a longer game, let's say. Yeah, I, I've seen you do some posting and, and some content on sales quotas. Obviously, sales quotas are an important part of, of a CRM process. And I have noticed when you go in, you're, you're explaining sales quotas, you're talking about the good and the bad, but then mm -hmm. you have links there to take you right to how Salesflare can help. So um, let's, let's talk about that because if we have a, an organization or a sales leader listening, Quotas are, are top of mind with them. So um, you've spent a lot of time on this. What are some of the good and bad you see? And, and how does a product like Salesflare make a difference? Yeah, so in our product, obviously you can, you can track sales quotas. So you can say, um, this, is, this is how much every person needs to sell this year. And then you can report on that. You can say, okay, where are they now? They're, they're one revenue and their expected revenue and all that versus quota. Uh, so you can track all that. Um, the successful salespeople, what they do additionally, um, and that's something we also do within the company for all kinds of stuff, is you set this kind of uh, end result and, this, and you say, this is where we're going to go. Uh, but then you also um, make that concrete and make it tangible and uh, you somehow... Is make that where the so daily daily habits kind of kick in that you're you're working daily, with? weekly, monthly, whatever makes sense. Uh, but you need to bring bring it down to something that you can actually work on, because this kind of end of year uh, goals are great, but they don't necessarily uh, motivate you, nor do they inform what you need to do on a daily basis. Um, and if you bring it down to something that you can actually work on, like you've let's say you place 50 calls a day or you uh, generate a, a warm lead a day. I don't know, I'm just giving ideas. 
Mm-hmm. Um, then that really makes it something that you can work on every day that you can feel accomplished. Um, and in the end, it will bring us to your end goal. And I think that is some of the most basic advice I can give around sales quotas that goes beyond just having them and tracking them. Well, and that's got to really help from a coaching standpoint, right? When you're giving mm-hmm. them those type of things to look at, boy, that's got to give somebody, uh, whoever is leading that group, that's got to give them good things to talk about every week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we don't only do that as a company ourselves on, on the sales level. We do that on all the levels. Uh, like two weeks ago or so with one of my colleagues, uh, she felt like that her goals were not not concrete enough and she feels that she gets way more motivated if it's really really concrete so we work together on on making it even more concrete while we already bring this kind of end goal results to a more concrete level we made it even even better there just just to make sure she really knows what to do on a daily basis and where she can be successful um and i'm sure that will help towards towards the end results good now, so let, let's say an organization or a seller is listening, and, and unfortunately, they're not really confident in the CRM they're using right now. So mm-hmm. hopefully at some point, they can reach out to you and, and they can look at SalesFlare. But let's help a seller today that has a CRM, they're not really using it to the, the degree that they should, kind of give them uh, some ideas of, of what they can do to maybe streamline it and, and why should they even if they don't see the big picture, why should they be using their CRM more than they are today? Um, I'll start with why, why they should be using it uh, more than today. Um, there is a lot of things dependent on it. There is the very basic issue, which we discussed is, is about proper follow-up. Um, there's a lot of revenue lost every year. Uh, one of our customers was reporting um, winning 1 million more a year. This is with three salespeople, just because they, uh, they are properly organized now. Uh, that's the very basic thing for salespeople usually. And that's- Does the average sales rep realize what they're losing and what they're losing track of or no? No, no, it's not visible. You just, it's just like, sometimes you're like, oh, I missed this. And <laughs> yeah, nobody ever goes back and says, let me add up all my mistakes. Uh, it doesn't work like that. And, 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 and I was going to say that's, that's, that's just um, the direct uh, revenue that you can attribute. I think there's way more behind it as well because you're not just losing that opportunity, you're losing uh, a relationship that might be that opportunity and maybe something afterwards. And you're, you're basically, and that's, that's what hurts me the most as uh, one of the bigger motivations for working on this is that I, I, I really hate to disappoint people like that. Um, like every time when somebody wants something and you're going to help them and then somehow you lose track and you don't help them anymore and you just leave them. That's just a, a painful feeling. Um, but that's on the, on the very basic like sales level. Then there's uh, the facts as a company that if you don't implement the CRM correctly, that you're always um, very often you, you need to go back to square one. Like a, a person leaves you you forget everything. You don't know uh, exactly who they were in touch with, what they were in touch about, all these kind of things. It's just gone. Uh, somebody is sick. You don't really know where to pick up. But even on a daily basis, it's hard for a sales manager to coach 
Um, you need to have these weekly or bi-weekly sales meetings where you take your salesperson through the pipeline and update it just like very manually and saying like, what's the status of this? And what's the state of that? While that could already be there in all the details and you could just focus on, on the, the things that really need your attention. Um, there's a fact that the, the, the finance people find it hard to, um, to forecast revenue because they don't really have perfect data for that. If they would, uh, they could make the, the company so much more financially stable and they would be able to know how much loans they need and how much this and that, you know. Um, there's a fact that it's hard to collaborate, um, not just within the sales team, but also with other departments, like what I, what I mentioned earlier with the marketing team. Uh, it might be that your marketing team targets a customer you're just about to close and it's, it feels really um, dumb. <laughs> Um, but then how do you fix that? I think the main bottleneck is, uh, with the sales team, right? If your sales team doesn't use the CRM, then you need to understand how you're going to fix that. It might be that, um, they don't understand the CRM. That's maybe level one. Uh, then it might be that you didn't, um, discuss together how you're going to use it which might be blocking them as well. Um, this is some, something that people all often overlook when they're implementing a CRM is um, they, they organize some training and say, this is how the CRM works. And this is that, and this is that, and there's all the cool stuff you can do with it, but they then don't discuss as a team how they're going to use it. While it's a system that can be used in many ways, like you could, you could interpret a, a stage as this or that, or a field, could be filled out like this or like that or you know there's all this like simple things very individual sometimes right every yeah every rep may look at those stages and interpret them a little differently yeah and that makes makes uh collaborating hard because you never know what something means like oh if, if tom fills it out then it means this and if mary fills it out it means that i mean that's very hard uh, if, if marketing then wants to pull a segment, for instance, of the data, it's also impossible because different data might mean different things. So um, that's quite essential, but it might also be blocking salespeople from using because they don't know how they should be using. It's another possibility. Mm -hmm. But then a thing that is absolutely important as well is just buy-in from the sales team. Um, they need to want to use the CRM and that can be on different levels. It might be just a feeling uh, that they were never involved and that they were never asked whether they wanted to use this or that it was just imposed on them and they, they just don't want to do it because of that. But it might also be that it's just the wrong system was chosen and they weren't okay with that decision. Uh, and maybe there's something better out there for them. And if, if the sales manager would make it their task to go out together and find something that works for the team, you might be able to solve it, taking all of the other things that I just said also uh, into consideration because all these things are important as well. Yeah, now, so let me ask you. So when, when you're starting with a new company, you, you need to teach them how to use your, your program, right? But that emotional buy-in to me is critical because you can, you can teach someone how to use it but if they're not vested in it, if they don't want to use it, if they weren't part of the process, 
Um, is that something that's important to you? How do you work? If, you, if you're working with a new company today, do you provide any assistance or training on, on how to get that buy-in from their sales team? Uh, we, we cannot uh, have a huge influences. So imagine uh, people coming on our software, they, uh, they just click on our site, they uh, try it, they look at stuff. Uh, sometimes they ask us questions and it's nice because then we can start having a conversation. We will always offer to have a conversation, but a lot of people don't really want to go to that level. We really try to build a relationship there and help but we can only do uh, as far as people allow. And especially when it comes to the level uh, of um, a sales manager involving their salespeople, if they do, and I'm talking to the customer, I always tell, this is awesome. I really love customers that do that because it's so much more likely that you're going to be successful with your team. But I, I can obviously not uh, tell companies like, involve your salespeople, otherwise it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. I could maybe write a blog post about it and hope they read it. Um, but uh, it's tough though, because some of that stuff that's out of your control, it could make a vital difference in whether or not the company effectively is using your, your definitely and, and continuing with your long term. We, we try to influence things. Uh, one of the things we do, for instance, is when you get on our software, um, this first is a walkthrough showing you. Um, how sales very basics can be used and what it does for you. But then uh, after that is over, there's this little setup guide on the bottom left that, um, that tells you the different steps you can do to get Salesforce set up. And we know that if you go through all these steps, if you properly get set up and there's lots of guidance with the, if you click on stuff, it goes to the right place, there's an article, there's a video, all those kind of things. Uh, we know that if you go through all these things, you're way more likely to be successful in the long run if you do these things during the trial. So the first two weeks, for instance, three weeks, whatever, I depends on the, the, the person, define how successful they're going to be in the long run. Now, what we did to try to influence people there is we gamified a little. Uh, we made sure that if you complete setup steps, you actually get more days on the trial. So you start a trial off with seven days, uh, which is not a usual trial length, but it gets longer as you do stuff. And it gets to a very generous, uh, I think, 30 days. And then if you add more people, you can even get more days. And that way, we, we try to influence people to do what's necessary. Um, and then, then obviously, we're always there to help uh, when we can. And we, we try to be there to help but we can only be there as far as people allowed. Hey listeners, it's Kelly Bloomer here to tell you the show is brought to you by Bloomer Associates. If you visit our website found in your show notes, you'll find we offer sales training, talent assessment for hiring and team development, and individual coaching for sales pros and managers. We bring over 30 years in media sales and leadership experience. If you enjoy listening to OK Boomer, Teach Me Sales, ask how our team can work with your sales team for virtual meetings, roundtables, and motivational seminars. You can contact us through our website or call today, 919-267-9871. Now back to our show. So let's talk about, let's go back to to the beginning. You have all these leads from this sales conference. 
Mm -hmm. and, and basically one of the goals of the CRM is to help you stay top of mind and continue working with these people over, over a number of weeks or potentially months. So a seller sitting down, they meet a new prospect today and the prospect says, I like this. You need to reach out to me in October. That's when we're going to be making our plans. That's when we're working on things. What are some of the key things that a seller should be doing from now through we're, we're taping this in May. So let's say over the next six months, what are some of the things that the CRM can help with and what should the seller be doing to keep moving that sale along? So it's top of mind come October. Yeah. I think you should first really understand the customer. Well, uh, why they might look, might look at your software in October. What are the, the key things they're trying to solve? Then maybe, um, note that somewhere, uh, connect that to some of the things the company is planning to do. That's what I would do it. So uh, for instance, they're looking to, um, whatever, um, to automate more of their emails that's something our software does. And then even if they're only going to look at it in October, I can give them updates whenever we add something that will make that easier for them. So our offering evolves. I let them know there's something that I might, I think might also be interesting for them. I let them know. I'm like, you, you're going to look at it in October, but know that we already have this and that, or there's this or that planned and you keep them up to date. If you want, you can do this kind of uh, quite side uh, information stream uh, where you put them on some kind of newsletter or something. Uh, keep invite them value, right? Just keep showing them more and more. Yeah, invite them to webinars and stuff. I personally think that's great, but it cannot be your your main way of follow-up. I think your main way of follow-up needs to be very directed at, at them and their issues and, and maybe a, a deeper relationship if you can, like if you if you know that they care about uh, they care about cycling, for instance. And you might like uh, maybe next week there's a, a cool cycling tournament and you send them an email and say, uh, did you see this? I don't know whether you're to that level, but this kind of stuff is possible as well. And then, and then obviously the whole thing around why they would, they would use what, what it is you're, you're offering and how you're evolving in your offering is really interesting to them as well. And if they feel that you're really playing to um, their needs there and keeping them up to date on how you're going to um, tend to them, help them, uh, and care about them as a person as well. I think you're on a good track and, and that the whole webinar inviting stuff is nice as well, but that's, uh, I think that's additional. Yeah. Now it's so important. And I, and I know some of the things that you've written talk about that human element, you know, you, you talk about the, the cycling that's going on to today. I see there's so many ways to really be able to, to connect with someone when you know a little bit about them, if, if people are just taking the time. Um, and that's that's not robotic, right? If it's just that you send them a newsletter once a month, you have a standard email that goes out every two weeks, but it's a whole different thing if all of a sudden in LinkedIn, you send them a DM talking about this cycling event that you just saw, or you just got tickets to go see this concert or something. Um, that's a whole different level, right? Yeah, whatever, whatever you think uh, triggers them, it, it of course needs some uh, more imagination and you cannot do it as much on autopilot as you might be doing other things. 
but if 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 it's if it's higher value sales and you can bring it to that level, I think um, it's something you should try to do. The best salespeople are really good at at doing this kind of stuff at scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and a CRM is going to help them, right? If they're doing it all manual. They're not going to remember that Tom is a Philadelphia Phillies fan, right? They're not going to mention when they hear something good happening, but um, having that all in the CRM can really keep it top of mind for them. Yeah, I think the CRM is, that is definitely one of the ways in which you can use a CRM. I think more so it's about, um, it's about their, their actual needs and when to follow up and all that. But uh, this, this can definitely have a place as well. I personally um remember these things to to build a relationship like this you're you're much more likely i think to remember the small details it's it's the when i should follow up and what did we last discuss and what is it they actually need in all that detail that is a bit harder to keep track of all right well when the phillies win the world series this year i expect to get a a, a dm from you so right i'll note it down yeah all right. Now I, I, I see uh, our listeners aren't going to see it, but I but I see the the cycle behind you. Are you just a uh, do you just ride for fun? Do you uh, ride competitively? Would tell me a little bit about a little bit about you. No, it's for fun. Actually, I I, I don't ride lately. I I was riding a lot last year. Uh, now the bike is there actually for my wife. I'm I'm back to running. I'm trying. I used to have quite some issues with my knees, like. Um, not not taking the running but currently it's going quite well um two months into it and they're still surviving so very very good very now what what is the landscape with where you live is it is it a flat landscape is it hilly what's the uh, is it good for the knees or no yeah it's very flat here so i live in antwerp um antwerp is in in flanders in belgium flanders by itself is quite uh flat except some of the areas, if you know the, the Ronde van Vlaanderen, the, yeah, it's a, it's a cycling contest, then you might see some hilly parts, but that's quite far from here. Um, in Antwerp here, Antwerp is the second biggest port city of, um, of Europe after Rotterdam. So it's really flat here, it's by the river. Uh, actually, my, my, my home here is an um, official, um, how do they say, uh, inundation area. So if the river really gets out of the river banks, it might get wet here. Uh, that's how flat it is. Okay, very good. I, my wife and I spent about 30 years in New Jersey, which is on the eastern st- part of the country, extremely flat, no, no hills at all. Uh, we moved to North Carolina two years ago and we can't walk the dogs without going up a hill, down a hill. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's something new for us. So, it's nice. Um, but let's talk now. So we're, we're talking about things that we're doing, things that have changed over the last year or so. Um, the pandemic, the way things have changed through 2020, um, what impact has that had on, on your company or on just on CRMs in general as people are doing a lot more work remotely now? I think on our CRM, very little. Um, it was already built for... Um, not for field sales, more like the, the sort of not field sales kind of sales, you know. Uh, so people might want to call it inside sales or remote sales or, I mean, maybe with a, with a field sales component where you go to the customer, but where a lot of the relationship is not happening while you're at a customer. 
Um, so with a lot of emailing, calling and all these kind of things. Um, so our, our product didn't have to change much. Our relationships with customers also didn't change much. Uh, this is because we sell all over the world. Uh, we might be here in Belgium, uh, but I think 45% of our customers is in the US and then a bit over 10% is in the UK. Um, and we're in 60, 70 countries all over the world. Um, so we, we don't drive to our customers. It was online already. Uh, what changed maybe a little is that people are even more uh, happy to jump on a Zoom call. Well, maybe less happy, but at least uh, it's easier to get them to go on a jump on a Zoom call. They at least know what it is. Yeah, they know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I was quite used to them before that already, but uh, now everybody is. So. Um, so you're not having to chase people down at the conference anymore. They're, they're coming to you or, or agreeing to meet. Yeah. Conferences that, that is something that changed a lot. Uh, we used to go to conferences. Uh, we used to get some customers there. It was definitely not the most efficient way. Um, like getting them through, uh, online sources. Uh, we, we get more a day than we, we get in one conference, let's say, um, but we would, we would usually go to conferences to build partnerships. And that's a bit harder now. Um, we have, in the beginning of the pandemic, I've talked at a lot of online conferences, uh, which I had just started off doing at, at offline conferences, but then all of a sudden everything went online. Uh, I talked at a lot of them. And then at some point, I think there was a huge spree between April and June, and then when the summer came, all of the online conferences started dying somehow. Um, at least I haven't talked at any, uh, I think, last end of last year, but I started uh, getting on a lot of podcasts, which one, um, often one podcast episode has the audience of, of uh, a big conference talk, mm -hmm. uh, which is nice. It, uh, it is much more personal. You can have much more of a conversation uh, rather than the, this kind of uh, PowerPoint presentation style kind of thing, which is expected at a conference. Um, and also in terms of preparation, I can I can do way more podcast uh, interviews than, than I can do uh, conference presentations. If it would be all conference presentations, I would be preparing presentations 24-7 uh, at this pace. So. Um, but what then changed also, uh, quite a lot for us was our internal organization. I mean, we were already online, obviously, as a software company and and we, we use all these tools. We didn't have to introduce um, much. It's mostly when it comes to our internal communication, we were quite dependent on um, being in the same room together. Mm -hmm. So we would leave a lot of the communication uh, to the sort of accidental water cooler style communication, you know, like you're in the same room, so you're all up to date. Sometimes you uh, can form that relationship a little bit, right? It's a little more personal. It's 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 more personal, but the the point I want to make here is that it's uh, it was not very systematic. Like communication just happened, while all of a sudden we were in in all of it, in our own homes behind our own screens. And we couldn't just rely on being in the same room anymore and people just picking up what was going on. We had to organize it in a much better way. So in the first few months of the pandemic, we had a lot of 
team meetings. We have like these bi-weekly team meetings where we see what's going well, what's, what's not going well and stuff, where we had to revise the way we work because we found that all of a sudden people didn't know anymore what was going on. Our communication was not working well. I, I, I wrote a big blog post about that, by the way, if you type something like uh, manage remote team sales flair, uh, I detail all the stuff we've, we've done there. Uh, one of the simple piece of advice I can give for instance is that at the end of a meeting, uh, you cannot have a meeting with everybody in the company. It doesn't make sense, right? But we even, we had meetings with five people and we found that if we're in a meeting with five people, Often two people are zoning out and three people are having a discussion. Uh, so we limited uh, meetings to three people, but then how do you make sure that the rest uh, can still pick up on what was discussed in that meeting? And what we do is at the end of each meeting, we take five, 10, 15 minutes, depends on how complex the meeting was, to think together, like what is it that we discussed in this meeting that the others should know about it? And then we write that as announcements these announcements go in Slack, uh, which is sort of like Microsoft Teams, uh, but then the original. <laughs> uh, and uh, with a link also to the full document where we have uh, written down all the meeting notes. But just the fact that we've distilled that into a short version that people can easily read to, to stay up to date without reading the whole meeting document, that makes that is one of the, the ways in which communication can more easily flow throughout the company. Very good. All right, Jeroen, this has been a lot of fun. Um, some good information. Give me an idea be, before we tell our listeners how to reach out to Salesflare. Um, and any last thoughts of someone sitting there right now and, and they're considering um, building a CRM? Uh, what are one or one or two of the things you want them to know as they would get started with you? Uh, they want to build a serum themselves or they to want to use, get a serum to, to get a CRM. Ah, they use a serum. Yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to bring competitors into the arena. It's crowded enough. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I building a serum all if, if you want. And uh, I can tell you about all the issues and how hard it is and stuff. But no, um, if you want to use a serum, um, think about what you want to use a serum for. Um, that's probably step number one. Um, if you're uh, there to in real estate and you want to build relationships, there's CRMs for that. If you're in e-commerce and you want to keep track of your customers and, and, and make repeat sales, there's specific e-commerce CRMs for that. Um, what we focus on is uh, building a B2B sales CRM. So it's for uh, small and medium-sized companies who sell B2B and they want to organize that in a better way and they want to have a CRM that actually works for their sales team. Uh, that's what we focus on. So if that's what you're looking for, then, then uh, definitely uh, have a look at our products. Like I said, we focus on um, automating most of the data in this CRM. So the sales team doesn't need to spend their time filling it out, doesn't need the discipline either. Uh, and on top of that, something I didn't cover is that we are building also more and more automation. Because as soon as you have the, the data there, then a lot of things are possible. One of the things, for instance, is uh, uh, you get these automated tasks to, let's say, like, it seems like you haven't been in touch with that customer for that long. And you said that if they're in that stage of the pipeline, you want to stay in touch that often. So then you get these reminders. Or the fact that you are forgetting to answer an email from a customer or forgetting to add meeting notes, there's all kinds of stuff for that. Plus there's, you can set automated emails 
based on if this and this and this is true, then I want this email to go to the customer. Um, but I would think that having that reminder, I, I notice myself, we get so many emails nowadays that all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know what? I, I think Tom emailed me a week ago and I, I forgot to get back to him. So you, if you have a system to remind you when you haven't replied, I, I've got to think that's going to be very efficient. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it seems like this is a customer. They have emailed you, you didn't reply. And also it hasn't been archived or deleted. So then we're like, hmm, it seems like you're forgetting to do something with this. Um, of course, if you're someone that just leaves everything in their inbox without touching it, then then we cannot uh, we cannot help you. But uh, uh, if you at least archive or delete stuff, uh, archiving is a popular thing in um, in Gmail, Google Workspace, which eighty percent of our customers use. So um, then then it really works well. Very good. All right, so. Um... Tell our listeners, how do they reach out to you if they want more information and uh, how do they reach out to Salesflare? Yeah, if you wanna read more about Salesflare, see our software, try it, uh, just go to salesflare.com and Flare is F-L-A-R-E. Um, uh, like I said, the trial is anywhere between, it started seven days, but then it goes to 30. And if you invite more users, it can even be more than that. Uh, and if you wanna get in touch with me, uh, you can do that on LinkedIn. Um, there's only one person with my exact name. If you find it, just copy it, put it on LinkedIn. Uh, send me a connection request with a personal message, please, because I, I get a lot of uh, spam connection requests every day. And if you send it without a, without a personal message, I will just assume it's spam as well. Um, but if you include a personal message, I'll certainly connect with you and uh, we can have a chat. Fantastic. And where is Salesflare headed? Where, where, do, where do you want to be in the next five, 10 years? Oh, good question. Uh, this is a question I ask myself quite often. Um, actually, this weekend, I was, uh, I was thinking about like, where is CRM headed? What can we do? We've always thought that like tackling the, the data issue is number one. And from there, there's a, a ton of possibilities. That's still the case. This is still ongoing. Like, and when you have a lot of data and it's well organized and there's a lot of cool automation and artificial intelligence and stuff and that you can start applying, uh, that's definitely still part of it. The rest of it is then seeing like, where is CRM going? What are people expecting from it? And where is that going? What we're definitely seeing is that a lot of um, sales tools nowadays that were separate from the CRM are becoming part of it. Uh, because that just starts making sense because the CRM itself becomes a sales tool. It's not really this, this database thing anymore where you basically have an address book or something. That's Some people still look at it like that, but it, for most people, it's already way beyond that. Um, that's something that uh, is changing. And then something that we, we've been working on for a long while already is... so. I just said, it's not a database anymore. It's more a sales tool, but there's a step in between where also um, it has become, it, it's really a relationship management tool nowadays. And relationships are more about communication, which means that um, communication becomes central and then the customer information is sort of secondary to the, to the communication. Uh, so there are communication systems and that part is also continuously being built out like uh, you have the communication timeline, but you can also send emails, place calls, you know, all those kind of things. 
keep doing more of those tasks that a seller needs to robotically do so they can do what they do best, right? And, and, and sell and, and build those relationships. Uh, Jeroen, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate all your time and uh, good luck with your next run. And uh, yeah. hopefully we'll be speaking again in the future. Yeah, thank you. This was fun for me as well. So Tom, is this where we tell everybody about your new book? I think it is, Kelly. Um, Teach Me Sales is a 21-day roadmap to sales success. So if you want to be success in sales, the road to success is always under construction. Map out the best route for the help of a proven sales leader with over 30 years of experience. Tom shares his insights into how to succeed in sales. His 21-day roadmap will help you build the daily habits to not only find your path, but to take the steps necessary to excel and prosper along it. Each chapter is designed to encourage you to commit to that extra degree of effort to invest in yourself and your future along this rewarding and personal journey. So Kelly, do you think we should share some of the advanced praise for Teach Me Sales? I think we should. Like Jeffrey Gittimore, author of The Little Red Book of Selling, he said, you don't get great at sales in a day. You get great at sales day by day. Teach Me Sales is the daily formula that puts you on the path to a lifetime of selling success. Buy it, read it, implement it. And then David Cottrell, author of Monday Morning Leadership and Quit Drifting, Lift the Fog and Get Lucky. He said, Teach Me Sales is an engaging, entertaining and enlightening book. Tom Bloomer shares his gift of storytelling, humor, habits, processes, and encouragement to guide you to become a complete, successful salesperson. Invest five minutes a day for 21 days and enjoy your sales and personal growth. You can do it. Thanks, Cal. We are so excited. I hope everyone that's interested enjoys the book. We have a link for the book in our show notes. We look to join you on your sales journey. So that's it. That's today's show. Okay, Boomer, teach me sales. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to subscribe and follow. We hope you make us a part of your week and don't forget to share with your friends and coworkers. Should we mention the website? Sure. The website, okboomerteachmesales.com. And where can they engage with us? LinkedIn at Thomas J. Bloomer. We hope to see you there.